Well, good morning. Uh, as you know, today is New Year's Eve, and like many of you, uh, we will celebrate the passage of another year tonight. And uh, as, as we reflect on this past year, we will probably sing the song Auld Lang Syne. Auld Lang Syne, right? I'm not even sure you can pronounce that right. Uh, that phrase, that turn of phrase actually comes from the Scottish poet Robert Burns, um, not Mariah Carey as you'll see here in a moment, but uh, it literally means for the sake of old times. Often when we celebrate, we look back, right? We look back at the incredible things that have happened over the year, the sad things perhaps that have happened over a year, but then we also look forward to the new year. And so we see this, and um, PowerPoint here will be up, I think, shortly. Um, but interestingly, there was uh, some statistics I found on this song that we sing, Auld Lang Syne. 97%, according to one poll that I saw, 97% of the people that responded don't know the words to the song. In another poll, 3% of America are chronic liars, right? So. <laughs> I don't know that anyone really knows the words to that song. And so uh, the other interesting statistic that I found was that 3% of millennials believe Mariah Carey actually wrote the song because they heard her sing it one time on TV. You millennials, you're funny. All right. Uh, and so just to help you out tonight, I actually uh, included the first two stanzas in the chorus for you of Burns's original Auld Lang Syne. I don't even know what half those words mean, so I don't, I don't know what to say. But the other thing that we do is we tend to look forward, right? After midnight, we begin to make our resolutions. And so we look forward to ways that we can somehow improve our lives. And so here are some examples of very common, in fact, I don't know what this says about us as a people, but if you look at the top 10 New Year's resolutions from every year for at least the, the last several years, uh, what you find is that they're all the same. In fact, I'll probably make a resolution that I'll try and watch less football. <laughs> and the first thing that will happen on New Year's Day, there'll be two college playoff games that I'll turn on and watch in their completion. So we make these resolutions. I don't know how, how good we do with them. But, but see, this is what celebrations are. In many cases, celebrations are looking back and remembering, but also looking forward. Uh, in fact, there are celebrations throughout the Bible. In the Old Testament, uh, God ordained all, all of these feasts that you see on the screen, the Passover and so on. And these feasts look back to what God had accomplished for the people of Israel, but it also looked forward, and we know that Christ is the fulfillment of these feasts. Looking back, looking forward. In the New Testament, we know that Christ himself uh, was celebrated. We just talked about this, right, with um, the wise men and the angels and the shepherds and their celebration for his birth looking back over the promises that God had made, and now looking forward at, at Emmanuel, God with us. We, of course, in the church age, have two very common celebrations that, that we perform. 
One is baptism, which looks back into oldness of life and then forward into newness of life. We look at the Lord's Supper. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians that communion, uh, as we look back, is we're remembering the work of Christ on the cross. But as we look forward, we're proclaiming the hope of his return. And then we have also one other celebration that we don't get to partake in yet. Man, I hope you're excited for this one. And it's the great wedding feast with Jesus Christ, the wedding feast of the Lamb that we read about in Revelation 19. Man, I can't wait for that time. Richard Foster, who wrote a book on spiritual disciplines, wrote this. Celebration is central, he said, to all of the spiritual disciplines. Without a joyful spirit of festivity, the disciplines become dull, death-breathing death tools in the hands of modern Pharisees. There's a lot of truth in that. We need to be able to celebrate. This morning, we're going to take a look at a celebration um, that, that Judea, the city of Jerusalem specifically, that they partake, that they partook in, uh, in the time of Nehemiah, when the wall had been rebuilt. And they dedicate the wall and they celebrate that. And then from there, uh, we'll look at our cause for celebration here at First Baptist today on New Year's Eve as we look back over the previous year and then forward into the new year. I'm going to go quick through a lot of this. It's just some real quick history so you understand um, all the things leading up to the wall. So be ready. Buckle the seatbelts. Here we go. As you know, um, God had uh, told the Israelites that if they didn't obey, that he would, he would have a foreign country come in and lead them into exile. It was prophesied about relentlessly. In fact, Moses did it several hundred years before the Babylonian captivity. Uh, the prophet Micah, one, two hundred years before. Isaiah, also before. Immediately before the prophets Habakkuk and Jeremiah prophesied that, uh, that Israel, Judea, the southern kingdom, would go into captivity because of their disobedience. And there's three stages of this captivity. The first stage occurs in 605 BC. Uh, this is when Daniel is taken into captivity. Nebuchadnezzar um, attacks, and as you know, we've, we've talked a lot about Daniel right before Christmas. Um, and so this group is taken into exile. Then there's a second one, 597 BC. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar comes and he plunders Jerusalem. And then finally in 586 BC, Nebuchadnezzar destroys the temple destroys the city, and destroys the walls. Interestingly, God had this all planned out. And he had promised his people that he would return them from exile. In fact, the prophet Isaiah prophesied that Cyrus would do exactly that. By name, mention Cyrus by name a century and a half before he walked the earth. And Cyrus, of course, is the great Persian king that takes over the empire of Babylon. Uh, the Baker Encyclopedia describes him as a civilized, enlightened statesman. 
Uh, but regardless, God stirred his heart. And we see that in Ezra, that God stirred Cyrus's heart. And he issues a proclamation. We won't read that, but it's up on the screen for you. He issues a proclamation to send uh, a group of this exiled community from Judea back to Jerusalem to rebuild God's temple there. And so there's three stages of the return. The first occurs under Zerubbabel. It's a great name. Uh, Zerubbabel, by the way, is, is actually in Matthew's genealogy for Jesus Christ, uh, which tracks um, Jesus's lineage through Joseph. Zerubbabel is listed there. So Zerubbabel uh, returns in 538 BC, some 70 years after the beginning uh, of, of the exile, returns to rebuild the temple. And he does, begins in 536 and ends 20 years later, 516. This is recorded in the first six chapters of the book of Ezra. In 458, Ezra returns and he leads a revival of the people there. This is uh, interesting and now, I would love to spend some time on this, Ezra 7 to 10. Uh, unfortunately, I think if I started, you would be here until actually the new year, so we don't want to do that. Uh, but I do want to point out this verse. Uh, the people had intermarried, and this will become a problem that we'll see again as we look at our text today. But the people had intermarried in violation of God's law. God had commanded them to be separate. In fact, that's what the word holy means. It means to be set apart. And God had commanded them to be set apart. And of course, they had not been. And so in, in, uh, as Ezra gets there and he finds this out, man, he's appalled. Look at this verse, verse 3 of chapter 9. Ezra says, as soon as I heard this, I tore my garment and my cloak. And I pulled hair from my head and beard and sat appalled. Is that how you feel about sin? That's, a, that's tough. I look at my life and I think, is that how I feel about sin? That I'd be willing to pull hair from my beard? My wife would tell you that my hair needs to get pulled out anyway. It's getting a little long. But man, that, that's incredible. I really encourage you to read the last few chapters of Ezra. See how the people responded. But third return is under Nehemiah. Uh, Nehemiah is a cupbearer for the new Persian king. His name is Artaxerxes. And uh, while Nehemiah is in service, his brother shows up from Jerusalem with a group of people from Jerusalem, and he brings bad news. Jerusalem is in absolute decay. The walls have fallen down. They're fire scorched. It's just not good. And all the neighboring countries are applying pressure to Jerusalem. And so Nehemiah fasts and he prays and he goes to the king and he says, can I go back to rebuild the walls, to rebuild this city? And Artaxerxes gives him permission. After a four-month journey, Nehemiah gets there and says, man, the walls, that's what we have to take care of first. We have to take care of the walls. And so he sets out on this major task of building the wall. I found a picture. They're actually hard to find. Interestingly, um, there was no evidence other than the Bible, the biblical record of Nehemiah's wall about a, until about a decade ago. No evidence at all. They could not find it. Skeptics used this to argue that, as they often do, 
again, the Bible was wrong. Well, joke's on them, because there it is. This is a really wide wall. You see the height of it. The reason I chose this picture is you can see a person standing on the far right, just barely. And then you see the width of the wall. You'll, you'll hear this later because two choirs will, will sing. They'll walk the wall and sing on top of the wall. Um, and so I just wanted to give you a visual. This thing is huge. This is no small task. And so Nehemiah and, and the people rebuild the walls and they have to overcome a ton of problems. Externally, there are these, these neighboring rulers that are trying to intimidate Nehemiah. Naturally, they don't want the wall that will defend the city of Jerusalem up, right? So they're trying to intimidate the work. Um, there's internal issues. Rulers of Judea uh, are charging ridiculous interest rates on the people. And so they're, they're having a hard time finding food. Um, so Nehemiah has to deal with that. There's traitors that are working with these outside rulers. You'd think it was as big as my ears are. Hold on to this thing. But um, there are these traitors outside or inside that are working with leaders that are outside. Nehemiah has to deal with that. And yet in all of that, Nehemiah and the people are able to build that wall you saw around the entire city of Jerusalem in 52 days. It's remarkable. And so they set out then to celebrate their dedication of this wall to God. And that's our text this morning. Now, just by way of introduction, I'm going to put every verse on the screen for you to read. You're welcome to turn to Nehemiah 12, verse 27, if you want to follow along in your own Bible. I'm not going to read it all. There's a lot of names. It's very text-heavy. Um, Nehemiah lists, I think, almost everybody in both choirs and all the leaders of Judea. So again, for sake of time, I'll put it up there for you to see it, um, and then we'll talk about some of the highlighted passages within it. And so the people then in Nehemiah 12, beginning in verse 27, the people begin their preparation for the dedication of the wall. Okay, and so as you look up there, they call in the, the Levites, and it says to celebrate the dedication with gladness and thanksgivings and with singing and cymbals and harps and lyres. Man, they had a ton to be grateful for. In fact, I would argue they're not only celebrating that God had rebuilt the wall, but that God had rebuilt their community. He had kept his word to them that they would be brought home as a remnant of his people. You know, it's interesting that they do this because we see no command from God to celebrate and to dedicate this wall. We see no command at all. But because they recognized God's hand in it, they were full of joy. And out of the overflow of joy and thankfulness in their hearts, they decide that they're going to dedicate the wall. Interestingly, I want you to see verse 30. Look at what verse 30 says. And the priests and the Levites purified themselves, and they purified the people in the gates and the wall. Before we come into God's presence, the very first thing we need to do is to purify our hearts. Before they dedicated the wall to God, the very first thing they did was to purify not only 
themselves, but they led this ritual purification of both the people and the walls and the gates. And we don't have that ritual cleansing that we need, but I want you to see Psalm 24, verses 3 to 6. I won't read it all, but notice the underlined section. He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up to his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully, that's who shall ascend the hill of the Lord. As believers, as you know, we purify our hearts through confession. Do you confess sin? That's how, in the state of grace that we live in, that is how we purify our hearts. 1 John 1.9 says this, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from our unrighteousness. Are you doing that? As you look back over this last year, is your life marked by confession of your sin? Purifying your heart so that you can come into the presence of the Almighty God gives us something to think about as we begin to make our resolutions into this new year. So Nehemiah, after the leaders purify um, the people in themselves and they purify the gate and the walls, Nehemiah breaks the group into two choirs. Uh, again, I could read all of that to you and tell you every gate they went to, but as you know, that would be here a while and I tend to run on anyway, so... Uh, but notice the purpose of the choirs is to give thanks. And so one choir that Nehemiah has gathered will be led by Ezra, and it will head to the south around the walls. The second choir will be led by Nehemiah. We read that in verses 38 and 39, and the group of people that are with him, and they'll head to the north around the walls. Interestingly, many commentators point out that often in scripture, walking around something often equates to claiming God's promises. It's kind of an interesting thought. Um, we see in Genesis that God directed Abram to walk around the promised land as a method of claiming the promise. And we see twice with Joshua. Um, first, when he enters into the promised land after the death of Moses, but then also as they march around Jericho with trumpets. I mean, if you, man, we learned that story when we're kids. But have you ever stopped and considered walking around the wall seven times, blowing trumpets, and all of a sudden the walls collapse? Have you ever even considered that? It's just incredible. But again, claiming God's promise. And so this then was, was the people of Judea particularly Jerusalem, claiming the promise that God would return them, would restore them from exile, as he promised in both Isaiah and Jeremiah. See, they had a lot to celebrate. So as they begin then, one heads to the south, one heads to the north, both of these two choirs then meet in the temple area. And you'll notice in the temple area, and again, it lists all the priests, um, I thought it was interesting that one guy was named Uzi. Uh, but there you go. They, there's all the priests and the singers. And there, look at what they did. 
the first thing they did, they offered great sacrifices. Now, what does that mean? That means they were obedient. They did what God had commanded them to do in the law. Notice that not only did they offer these great sacrifices, but they rejoiced, for God had made them uh, rejoice with great joy. The women and children also rejoiced, and the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. Man, incredible joy that, they, that is the outpouring of their heart. The fact that the women and children are mentioned here, what that seems to indicate is that everybody rejoiced. There was this tremendous outpouring of joy from the people of Judea because God had kept his promise to them and they recognized that fact. In fact, look at the very last verse, part of that verse again. And the joy of Jerusalem. Notice, not the music. Not the music. The joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. That's astounding. You know, the German philosopher Nietzsche said this. Christians, hear this quote. When we talk about joy, and whether or not you live a life of joy as one who is redeemed, hear this quote from Nietzsche. He said, if the Christians expect me to believe in their Redeemer, they have got to look a lot more redeemed. Ooh, that's, that's harsh. And all too often it's true. Ray Steadman, a pastor from California, said that joy is much deeper and more long range than happiness. Joy appreciates the past, the present, and the future, not because the circumstances are pleasing, but because the heart is right with God. That is what fills us with joy. They responded with tremendous joy to the fulfillment of the promise that God had made to them. Do we do that? They also then responded through tithing. And again, we won't read all this, but I just want you to notice, they appointed these different temple positions to oversee the contributions and the first fruits and the tithes. And notice that underlined, that second underlined portion, for Judah rejoiced over the priests and the Levites who ministered. They tithed, they tithed out of joy, out of pleasure, for what the Levites and the priests had done for them. Second thing that I want you to notice in this, at the bottom, and all Israel in the days of Zerubbabel and in the days of Nehemiah gave the daily portions, not just for the priests, but for those that kept the gates, for those that sang the songs. They even set apart for the Levites and the priests who couldn't be there from who were perhaps ministering in neighboring regions. Think of the tremendous unity that we see among the people of Jerusalem. They are so filled with joy for what God has done for them that they are giving abundantly back. They are tithing. 
We have a lot to celebrate here, and we'll get to that in just a minute here in our own church body. But we have been a church that has been remarkable givers. Uh, in fact, we believe as elders that this next year, this building will be paid off. That is amazing. And our hope is to have it done early in the year. Which is good if you remember the assessment. We have more building to do, but that's another story. We want to celebrate that. The next thing they did, not only did they respond through tithing with great joy, but they also responded to God's word through reading it and being obedient to it. Uh, chapter 13 says this, On that day they read from the book of Moses in the hearing of the people, and in it was found written that no Ammonite or Moabite should ever enter the assembly of God, for they did not meet the people of Israel with bread and water, but hired Balaam against them to curse them. Yet our God turned the curse into a blessing. So they read the law, and again, here's the intermarriage problem, right? They, they intermarry with the people that are around them, and they're not supposed to do that. In fact, that's one of the things that led them into exile. And so as soon as they read that, look at their response. So again, they read scripture and then they respond obediently to it. As soon, verse 3 says, as soon as the people heard the law, they separated from Israel all those of foreign descent. I want you to consider this. As soon, they did so eagerly, they did so immediately, and very obediently, they did what God would have them do. That's their response out of great joy, they read the scripture and they respond obediently to it. In fact, um, the word holiness means to set apart. As I mentioned earlier, it's the Hebrew word kadesh. It's the Greek word hagios. It means to be set apart. God calls us to be holy. And that's what they're doing. And so, quick summary then. The people's response to God's faithfulness. The first thing they did, they purified themselves. Secondly, they responded with joy and thanksgiving and tremendous joy. I want to stress the joy. And so many times we get down on what's happening. They responded with tremendous joy. I think about 2 Samuel as Daniel danced, or as David danced with the Ark of the Covenant as it's returned. I mean, we're Baptists, so we don't do that, but for that still. Um, they tithed to those who were ministering to them. They committed to read God's law, and then they also committed to obey God's law. Well, like the people of Judea returning from exile, we have much to celebrate here at First Baptist. In fact, a week ago, two weeks ago now, we, we had the elder Christmas party at our house, and I asked the elders to write down on just a, a little post-its things that they were thankful for. And I thought I would share those with you. As we look back, Auld Lang Syne, right? As we look back to the good old days of this year, what are we thankful for? Because as you know, this had the capacity to be a tough year. As you know, this last year 
could have really gone sideways in our church. And yet God has remained faithful to this church. He has provided for this church. He has incredibly built this church. And you have been a part of that. And we have been a part of that. And we need to respond with great joy to that. To the great work that God has done in this church over the course of the last year. And I want to show you some of those things. This is one of the things the elders wrote. God held this church together through trying times. Isn't that true? What a great thing for us to be excited about. This church is committed to teaching God's word in a big way. That's what we are committed to. You, us, we are committed to the teaching of God's word. How about the testimony of Kayleen? Who said, if you prayed for our community with the strength and the vigor that you have prayed for my healing for, imagine what would happen in this community. Wow. I mean, talk about a person who had a great testimony to us. How incredible. Amen, indeed. The involvement, uh, you know, when, one of the things that we recognized as elders is that we were not involved to the degree that we should have been. And over the last year, you've seen elders step into really important roles, but it's not just about us. It's about the congregation. The congregation has stepped up into amazing roles where you have just incredibly changed the course of this church. God has used you mightily. Uh, another elder mentioned the interaction, the constant back and forth that we have and should have as brothers and sisters in Christ. Again, the way that you as a congregation have stepped up. You've stepped up and you've taken over so many ministries and you've done such a tremendous job. God has used you mightily for this church. Again, thankful for the body here. Uh, and make no mistake about it, God has gathered this body and he has protected this, this body, this remnant of his believers here in Sheridan. And we need to be joyous and thankful for that. How about our staff? And these are the hidden heroes that most people don't even know the work that they do. But our staff from our finances to making sure that your bulletins are ready every Sunday. Our staff does a tremendous job behind the scenes. And man, we need to be so thankful for them that God has brought them to this church. And probably the most powerful ministry in our church is our children's ministry. And the elders mentioned that we're thankful for Jody. And the people who come alongside her and help her out in teaching our kids. And we'll, we're thankful for Shane. And the tremendous impact he's having on the youth in this church. From junior high all the way through to college. Man, we are blessed to have a, a young man of his stature here. We've been blessed with Tom, haven't we? You know, I remember uh, Shane got up here the other day and he made some comment about being the backup. Um, I'm the backup to the backup this morning. 
We have a saying in football that you're only as good as your backup quarterback. Uh, well, we're in trouble then. Anyway, so um, we've been blessed by Tom's preaching, I think, his commitment to God's word. We've been blessed by his love. Jen and I had him over for Christmas at our house, and I watched him get on his hands and knees and build Legos with my daughter, which was good because my knees aren't good. I don't do that well anymore. I get kind of grumpy, I think. But we're thankful for members of the search committee and, and the important role that they have that I'm guessing is going to come to fruition this year. I'm guessing that God has for us someone already set aside. And to combine those two thoughts, man, just consider how high a bar that person's going to have to hit. Praise God that, that in his foreknowledge and in his predestination, he knew exactly what we needed here. And again, the elders mentioned this church's steadfast commitment both to God and to his word. And how about Sam and all the members of the worship team, Jason and Tony and the singers? <laughs> it's amazing the job that they do. We, we need to be so thankful for them. I loved how the assessment put it, that they can equally offend everybody, <laughs> right? That's so true. And by the way, how special is that for you as a congregation? That you can worship with styles that maybe aren't your style. And yet you still understand that it's worship. Man, we have a ton to celebrate here in this church. The last one, I, the one I saved intentionally for last was this one. One elder wrote this. He said, I'm thankful for the trials and the tribulation of last year. Are you thankful for trials and tribulation? We know in James 1 that we are to count it all joy when we meet trials. For we know that the testing of our faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. We have a ton to celebrate. We have a lot to be joyful about here at First Baptist. God has provided for us over this last year at a time when churches could easily go a different route. God built this church. God has strengthened this church. And we have so much to be joyful for. So how then do we respond? How then do we respond to what God has done. Well, the first thing I would urge you to dedicate this year, it is good to do that. In fact, as you know, 1 Corinthians 10.31, whatever you do, do it to God's glory. Colossians 3, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. You know when your boss is annoying you? Well, you're not working for him. You're working for Jesus. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. We need to reflect joy. I'm not going to read all these verses, but I just want you to see them. 
Joy is listed as a fruit of the Spirit. Are you joyful? I have to ask myself that a lot. It's a fruit of the Spirit. It is mark. It marks those that believe in Jesus. Psalm 51 says this, But let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy and spread your protection over them. For those who love your name may exult in you. For you bless the righteous, O Lord. You cover him with favor as with a shield. In Psalm 1611, In God's presence, there is fullness of joy. How do we... Obtain the joy, the fruit of the Spirit. We exist, we maintain ourselves in God's presence. Psalm 47, the famous one that we know, clap your hands, all you people, shout to the Lord with great joy. Proverbs 10, 28, the hope of the righteous brings joy. Do you hope? Do you have hope for the return of Christ? Because that will bring great joy. Later in Proverbs, a joyful heart is good medicine. And you know that to be true. You don't like to be around the person that's a downer all the time, do you? And then Philippians 2 kind of gives you the flip to this. And I want to read this passage to you. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Man, we're great at grumbling, aren't we? We can find all kinds of things to grumble about. I know I can. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. Why? Because among whom you shine as lights to the world. Why should you be joyous? Because the world's looking at you. Remember Nietzsche's quote? Probably should act a little more redeemed sometimes, shouldn't we? We need to respond as the people of Judea did through our tithes, which you've done a great job of. And I'll be honest with you, there'll be a tendency for some of us to say, look, and the building's done. That's uh, more money for my vacation. And yet we need to continue to respond to the work that God has done in this church and will continue to do through our tithing. We need to honor the Lord, as Proverbs says, with our wealth. Not just because we're giving for that, but also because we're sharing. We're united with each other, as Hebrews 13 says. And we have to do so out of great joy. Again, that joy has got to encompass everything that we do. We need to turn to the book. We need to go to scripture. That's another thing that we should be doing as a response like the people of Judea to fulfillment of God's promise. We need to be dedicated to his word. Joshua, you know this, meditate on it day and night. Be careful to do according to all that is written in it. Psalm 19, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. How do we find joy? Because we study in God's word the great things, the great promises that he has kept to us 
And that gives us great joy. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. As you know, the word is living and active. It impacts our lives in a major way. I mean, what a great time, what a great New Year's resolution for you to do, to commit to daily reading of God's word. To thirst for that. Because we know that all scripture, all scripture is breathed out by God and that it is profitable for teaching, for proof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God Sorry, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And then how do we respond finally? With our holiness. We commit to obedience. Romans 12.1 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Peter says, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Commit to obey the scriptures that we're reading. These are the ways that we should respond. We should respond first and foremost with ensuring that we are pure when we enter the presence of God. We should respond with great joy. We should respond through giving back out of the overflow of what God has given to us. We should respond through reading his scripture, through reading the Bible, and we should respond through obeying it. We have so much to be excited for. What will we do this year? As a church body, what, we're all, what will our resolution be this year? I urge you to consider these responses to what God has done in this church. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for... For the incredible things that you've done in this church body over the course of this last year. Your faithfulness is so obvious to us. God, we praise you for that. Father, I pray like the people of Judea that you would help us to be people of joy. God, people who are committed to continue to tithe to the ministry that you've established here. God, that we would be people committed to your word and committed to obeying it. God, help us to respond to you and what you've done in this church in ways that are honoring and glorifying to you. Help us to dedicate this year to you, Father. God, thanks for what you've done for the trials and the tribulations that you've given us over the course of this last year. You are truly an awesome and great God. 
as we sang earlier. God, be with us as we go from here today. Help us to continue to honor you with our lips and with our actions. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Please stand.